0: The following is brought to you courtesy of the No Phony Podcast Network, home of independent awesomeness.
1: I immediately regret the question, because I had no idea you did that much. (laughs)
2: Becoming a name in an industry has become a bit of the issue, really. Ego does get involved. So the fans having something to say
1: will be addressed in the end. Casey, who do you think the most popular superhero is?
0: Uh, I would have to go with, uh, let me think about this for a second... Are we going Marvel or DC or just in the whole realm of superheroes? The whole realm of possibilities. I would go with Superman.
1: I think you're right. And today's episode, Casey, actually has a fella by the name of Rags Morales, who's one of the many people. I don't know if it's many or several or few people who have actually drawn a Superman comic. So Rags is somebody that I know. He actually, it's funny how he and I got to know each other. He was, uh, I'm going to reveal something here, Casey. In My day life, I work as a digital marketer. I know this thing called SEO, and it's basically about rankings and how to get better rankings. And I met Rags through a mutual friend, and Rags said, you know what? I'm trying to rank for my own name because, you know, I am somebody, and people want to find me, and this imposter-type website is is ranking instead. I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm happy to help you with that. That's easy. But to pay me, I need you to draw me into a Superman comic. And he said, Yeah. I'll do it. So, you know, I did my work and I said, there you go, Rags, you're back where you belong in Google. And he goes, well, here you go, Bill. And he showed me a, a sketch drawing. He was actually writing one of the, the, he was drawing one of the Superman episodes and he had a picture of me and he had a picture of my son. And I was like, awesome, man. I'm, I was drawn into a comic book. And I, uh, my son was probably five at the time. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to look like a super dad, man. I'm, I'm going to look. Fucking amazing! So I take this comic book up to him. I'm like, "Look!" I open the page and I show him the picture. I'm like, "That's you and me." My son goes, "Huh." <laughs> so, at the end, it was really a gift for me. He just uh, it, it didn't strike him the way it struck me, but you know, I was really thankful uh, to Rags for doing that. So, it's cool that he's
0: going to be a guest on our show today.
1: Well, he's that a- was
0: that was how many years ago. Probably eight,
1: probably eight years, eight years
0: ago. ago. Yeah. So is your son, like, th- is he more interested in it now? Does he think it's cooler now that, you know, as kids get older, they think like, you know, like I didn't like a lot of stuff when I was a kid that I'm very interested in now, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, he's actually good. He has a uh, affinity for drawing now, and he, he does acknowledge that he was in a comic book now.
0: <laughs> nice. But,
1: you know, I don't let the truth get in the way of a funny story. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's oh, that's uh, awesome, man. It was it was a cool sort of thing uh, for me because I've been reading comics my entire life. I'm one of those kind of kids. I'm not a massive collector, like I wasn't. You know, let me get every single issue of this and store it. Uh, you know, kind of like you do with toys, <laughs> as we heard <laughs> from another episode. But I've always had comics around. I even look around this house sometimes, and there's still comics stashed somewhere. All sorts of comics, DC and Marvel, especially.
0: Well, you're about to find something else out. Hit me. <laughs> when, like, The Walking Dead started, and then after The Walking Dead, there was The Talking Dead, and then, like, a, there was a real late-night talk show on – or not talk show, real late-night show on AMC called Comic Book Man with Kevin Smith. Sure, yeah. And so <laughs> I started collecting comics, because I love the art. I love the artwork, and but I <laughs> – I don't have time to read all these comics, so my comics are now in storage with my evil Knievel toys. Unbelievable! Have you never read them? Never yeah. read them. Maybe I read, I read like a bunch of the Walking Dead stuff, but that was pretty much it for the comics. I did buy. Uh, the, I think there's a new series out that Rags actually worked on, the New Fifty Two. Yeah, Direct. well, that's the one I'm in. I'm in the yeah. Superman. Uh, Yeah, I bought a bunch of those. Or it might have, I'm not sure. It might have actually been the series after that because it was more recent than eight years ago, so.
1: I've lost interest in comics. I I watched the Marvel movies and DC movies. (laughs) I've moved into that medium. But I think I've lost interest because of things like, and we can ask Rags about it, things like the uh, the New 52, right? Why did they decide, hey, we need to go ahead and relaunch the entire DC universe again? They've done it with Marvel. They create like Spider Man is my favorite superhero. There's like two fucking thousand versions of Spider Man. Okay. There's no reason. <laughs> I'm happy with just my regular Spider Man, the one I kind of grew up with. Sure, show me some new stories. But man, it gets complicated in the comic book uh, sort of uh, story arc, spectrum, whatever. You know, it's just there's so much going on in those comics. It is a full time, uh, sort of, to me anyway, job of trying to keep up with all of it. And I just got
0: lost. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. the same with the movies, too. I mean, there's so many different reboots and everything. And, like, which world is this? Or is that, is that connected to this? You know, it's just, it's it's very hard to follow.
1: Luckily, I, I got in on the beginning, so it's not so hard, but for sure. I mean, if you're coming into anything halfway through, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Why is the, why is the world blowing up here? You
0: know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I found pretty interesting about the comic book world is, I really like, since I like the art so much of it, I found out about, like, the variant issues, like, the different covers that you could get for, like, the number ones, and do you know what I'm talking about? Like, a different... the different issue, you can get a variant cover. So Yeah, like, it's getting... different than the one that everybody gets. They only make, like, a certain amount of these these variant covers that they call them. Oh.
1: So, intentionally making uh, collectibles. Right.
0: Collectibles. Right. Okay. Yeah, I always thought that was cool.
1: i. <laughs> I know that comics for a while had a had a hard time. I mean, they maybe weren't selling quite like they used to. And, and if I got the story right, that's why Marvel ended up selling a lot of their characters to other production companies. So for a long time, other people other than Marvel, I think you had to have the Marvel logo. I'm sure there was something in the deal that you still had to show the, the registered trademark. But it wasn't actually owned by Marvel. So they had to sell the rights to we talked about the fantastic four yeah. so that like that's the story so they were they were kind of out of money so they had to sell these things off but i i don't know what the comic business is like now do people go and buy them or do people just download them
0: yeah i don't know it's it's got to be definitely different with the uh with all the technology and stuff out there now you can read everything digitally same with uh regular books i mean they have the kindle i i th- they have like a Kindle version for comic books like DC, Marvel, all the major comic book places have their own uh, apps that you can just read the comics right on the app with a yeah. subscription.
1: Sort of takes the, the old charm of collecting comic books sort of uh, out of the equation. And maybe that you know is old school and it's dead and it ain't coming back. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I'm, vinyl came back. Rags will know. Rags Morales will know. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to him. All right, buddy, he's here. Hey, Rags, how you doing, old friend? Good. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing pretty good. I've been seeing you in a few—I guess a few years. We still. How's,
2: how's your son?
1: Yeah, I was just telling the story in the intro about your drawing of him. Yeah. He's uh, 16 now. He's showing a real interest in um in drawing, and uh, he's actually like, "Hey, maybe I can get lessons from Rags." <laughs> like, I don't know if Rags gives drawing
2: lessons. <laughs> sure. How much money are you making, Bill?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you mean, how much money is he making?
2: <laughs> well, he's 16. I'm not expecting much.
1: <laughs> no. No. He, he's, if he could make money laying in bed, he'd be a millionaire.
2: Yeah, yeah right? Wouldn't we all?
1: <laughs> well, in the intro, you know, we talked a little about you and some of your experience, but, uh, you know, the, to kick off, just I don't even know how many different comic characters you have drawn. I know... A handful, but I'm sure there's more that you've done that, that I'm aware of so maybe you can rattle off a few
2: uh, well by title
1: or by character
2: uh, well, if I go by character, the first book I did was a team book but if you want to go by character then I guess with this prime maggrabar and fox hard luck Ishi ber Dwalomar Omen minder and that's just uh, the starting cast it doesn't include all the villains. From there, I went to Black Condor. Uh, From there, I skipped over to Valiant, and I did uh, Archer and Armstrong. Uh, The first one issue, just one issue. Uh, Most of my time there was spent during Turok. A little bit of uh, Geomancer, some Eternal Warriors, uh, Shadow Man, Sliders. I did the TV show uh, comic, a couple of those. Then I came back to DC, and was Working on our Man, that turned into a little bit of JSA work. Uh, Hawkman, that turned into Identity Crisis, that turned to Wonder Woman, and also Superman Batman, a little Batman Confidential. Then I guess the action run on 52. I did an issue of Sinestro, then I did a. Uh, um, Convergence storyline where I did some Green Arrow stuff
1: I immediately um, regret this question because I had no idea you did that much
2: <laughs> yeah wow, I then, then I did. Then I went to Marvel, did some Point One work, a little uh, uh, New Avengers, a bunch of covers, then from there I did Amory Wars with Claudio Sanchez of uh, Coheed and Cambria, that's an independent book, he's a lead singer and guitarist of that band And then just did a little bit of uh, bloodshot work, and uh, that's where I am now. So I'm just kind of semi-retirement because I'm not really exclusive. I have no contract. Just doing some traveling when there's traveling to be done and uh, commission work and uh, trying to get some independent work with some other artists and writers. Uh, Nothing I want to talk about because uh, nothing's set in stone, but if I have something to say, I'll I'll be announcing it. 31 years. It's a lot of work.
1: That's, wow. I didn't know. Wow, 31 years. What's the business like? I mean, having so many different, is it different bosses? You technically had different bosses, so it must be like every comic has different rules and different sort of.
2: No, the only rules, really, if you're handling a title that's been done before, like if I did action comics or Wonder Woman or anything like Batman, uh, they come with templates. You know, There's, there's a whole slew of people that have handled it before. And there's parameters within that slew. So you've got something that's esque to somebody else, like Neil Adams esque, or you know Garcia Lopez esque, where you try to get something that's comfortable. But whenever you're doing something, because you are doing something for the first time, or they're handing something to you that that uh, they want your touch on it, it's more like uh you know you want to do it's, it's like i tell people it's i tell everybody it's, it's you got to do something familiar and new at the same time so you have to be within a specific template while you're adding another layer to it and then occasionally you run into a character like Hawkman that i did that you know becomes synonymous with you and uh, i guess in this field that's something that you want you want to be able to have that character that you know they say that character and your name pops up with it so
1: yeah do you get any say in story, or is it typically here's the script and draw around this?
2: Typically, it's, it's you know, this is where we're going with it. Uh, when I used to teach, I used to teach at the Cuber School, and I taught uh, story adaptation. And one of the five tenets I gave them was absolute understanding of your role as an artist when you're dealing with a story. Um, a lot of writers have ambitions that are along the lines of wanting to direct. And they have a tendency to try to tell you too much to, of, of how to draw something. And I told them, it's fine. They can tell you what to draw. They don't tell you how to draw it. That's where you draw the line. And w- with that regard, you have to consider them as screenwriters and you're the director. So whenever you get a script, if you're lucky, you'll run into somebody like Greg Rucker who openly admits he can't draw and he can't conceive of it in a way that's uh, that's translatable. So he lets you do it. You know, when I worked with uh, Dwayne McDuffie, I did a, uh, a little JLA work with Dwayne McDuffie. It's a couple of issues. Um, He was very, he was vague. He wouldn't, you know, he would say something like, you know, on Green Lantern and you know, okay, that's a headshot. How close you want to get with the cameras up to you. Whereas another writer might say extremely, you know, extreme up, you know, upshot, Extreme close-up, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, they have a specific thing. That's where, you, that's where they start, you know, dictating too much. One thing I, I don't like are writers that treat you like an extension of their brilliance and that you're just a tool that they don't have, but they use you as a tool as if they did have it. Mm. So it's a collaborative effort. You have to be able to give a little, get a little. And if I have a question or if I have something that some reason doesn't work, well, with the script, I'll call the writer and say, listen, I have a better idea. How about we try this? Uh, and more often than not, I've been lucky. They've been, they've been pretty receptive to it. So it's, it's basically a give and take, you know. And if you don't know what you're doing, you know, it's going to be hard. I mean, I, again, you know, it took me many years to get to that level to where I was able to have a bit more say with the script, you know. Uh, yeah. But like Shakespeare said, the play is the thing. And if you don't uh, adhere to the story, and if you're not doing anything specific for the story, then you're pulling away too much. Two two things that were said to me that were really cool. Pete Tomasti said, so long as you keep the, the 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 spirit of the story alive, feel free to have a little interpretation." And Paul Levitz, I called him once with you know questions and suggestions and ideas and he just says, he says, listen, rags, it's, it's, it's a script. It's not a contract. So that's really the basic, you know, your pacing could be different. Your angle cameras, your camera angles for sure is different. Uh, But basically you draw to the dialogue, you draw to the requirements of the story and you know, you, you try to add a sense of drama to it if you can, where it's necessary.
1: Yeah, sure. That makes sense you got to have crazy deadlines. I'm sure the deadlines must be, I'm sure you're used to them, but they must be kind of a pain in the ass. If you got a, maybe a writer or other people that you can't collaborate with.
2: Well, generally speaking, if you're penciling a book, you, you know, you, you're, you're fine. If you can, if you can average about five pages a week, so hmm. a page a day, Monday through Friday, you know, it's a long day. It's, you know, you talk about 14, 10, 14 hours a day. You know, when you talk, when you consider uh, referencing thumbnails, you know, just, the, the the act of drawing itself is the act of of just you know death by a thousand cuts, you know because it's it's about you know trying this and that doesn't work out and it's starting over and you know and and uh, it could be a it could be a long day you know uh, especially for someone like me who considers myself more an artist than I am a comic book artist I, I don't fall along the lines of of common tropes I don't think I do I think I when I draw I draw very differently than a lot of people. And I'm not trying to be like somebody else. I'm not trying to hearken anybody. Um, I have my influences, and, and many of them are comic book people, but I'm not going out of my way to be Kirby-esque or you know, to be like Michael Golden or Neil Adams or anybody. You know, I, I just try to draw to the best of my ability, and, and wherever that takes me, it's where I go.
1: What are some of the characteristics that you think are you? Specifically, my strengths would
2: probably be... Uh, well, I... I grew up being a huge fan of the American illustrators, James Montgomery Flagg or, or Dean Cornwell, you know, J.C. Leyendeck and Norman Rockwell. So, you know, when with those uh, artists, you know, they have a single image that they try to sell. So you try to capture an entire story in a single image. So uh, for me, I think uh, my strengths would be along the lines of probably giving some humanity to something, I think, I think in terms of emotional content, I think in terms of who that character is and, and who the relationship and, and what are the relation relationships to him, with the people within the room, I try to to bring a sense of humanity. I think that's one of the reasons why identity crisis worked well with me is because it was such an honest story and, and, and very, you know, it was very character driven, not incident driven. You know, I, 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 I couldn't draw a Michael Bay comic book, you know, it would have to be something that's, that's more in tune with the human condition really as well. The way I, re- I relate to it,
0: you know, when you're hired to do a, a comic book, are you drawing, are you penciling everything in that entire book or is it a collaboration with other artists?
2: Oh, do I have assistance? No, it's all me. The only assistance I would have if I was working with uh, an inker, or, or if I wasn't just a, the, the colorist, you know, there's there's a certain amount of shorthand. There's a short, certain amount of harmony that has to be established when you're working with other people. So when you're working with an anchor, sometimes it takes a little while to figure each other out, you know, so that you can anticipate the way that they're going to be handling their end of it. And then occasionally you're, you're lucky, you run into a really good artist who can who can draw very well. See, there's the stigma with with anchors that they're line followers, and over the course of years yeah you know it, it it became a specialty thing back in the old days there were so they were so deadline heavy in terms of, of getting out as much product as possible. There was not a lot of time for polish so you would give someone the, the job to pencil uh, but he didn't have time to finish it, so he would hand it off to an inker and the inker had to be a very good artist you know and and those old time inkers were more what we would call embellishers. Uh, today, there are a lot of anchors, because there's, well, on one part, you know, so, you know the, the, the name, becoming a name in an industry has become a bit of the issue, really. Ego does get involved, and, and there's a lot of Inkers that are just cognizant of uh, not, you know, stepping on the artist's toes, so they don't do more, you know. So it's rare to find, and it, but honestly, it's impossible, because it depends on the tool that you're working uh, they, they, with which you're working because every tool has a different look. So if if you're working with, with an inker, you know, and pencilers have gotten so heavy, so so line heavy, so so dictatorial, that one, it makes it easy for an inker because everything is there. But at the same time, it also kind of limits their input, you know. So when I, I did an issue of Turok, back in the 90s with gonzalo mayo now gonzalo mayo is one of those old time filipino artists and with him and i was warned i says he's gonna go gonzo we called it going gonzo because of gonzalo call it uh, gonzo he'll just take it over i says well that's perfect so i did it very linearly i didn't have, i didn't drop blacks or shadows i just drew what was the what was you know the characters and he absolutely loved it. You know, he had freedom to do whatever the hell he wanted to do with it. And, and because of that, I thought it was probably one of the top five jobs I've ever done in my entire career because I gave him. And there was one particular panel where I did a little more just to see what would happen. It looked like shit. So, you know, it, you, you, it's, it's, it's a give and take. It's it's really, it's, it's a partnership, you know. Um, it's an underrated field, really, inking. Uh, it's because a lot of people just have stereotype that it's they're just they're just line followers, and to some degree, it's only because of the ego of the pencil that makes it that way, you know. But I I, I did a, I did first wave with Brian Azzarello. and toward the end of it, we were kind of crunching really, really tight to the deadlines, and so I had uh, Phil Winslet, who's a brilliant artist. Uh, he's, he's he's an Englishman. He's from from Britain. And I remember having a conversation with, it was like, uh, he says, yeah, you realize that I, I have a very good work. I don't give you do no nuts on it. Take, take it over if you want to, you know? And I like it when that happens.
1: So how does technology actually help at all? You were talking about, I like, I like Gonzo, but, you know, I always think about the inker until you've proven me wrong. You know, the inker is just sort of like, okay, I'm going to do the cleanup work after the artist. And I'm thinking in my head being, naive you know we have illustrator we have adobe photoshop like some of those tools i know that they can trace pretty well so you're never leaning on any one of those type of tools you're still doing it pretty traditionally i'm 100
2: traditional i found salanti con paper i'm too old (laughs) um this this is this this will give people an idea of of uh where someone who's in their 50s is (laughs) Um, when it comes to this kind of technology. I graduated in 1985, and in 1986 was the first required computer course in my high school. Hmm. So that I just missed by a year. I missed the cutoff where I would have been introduced to computer class for the first time. And when I went to to the art school, um, to, at, and I went to Joe Qbert, uh, there was... It was all traditional stuff. Nothing nothing was done on computer. We didn't, it wasn't a requirement, but then when I became a teacher uh, a couple of years ago, it was a requirement to have um, a, a MacBook because of the programs, because of Photoshop and Illustrator, and you have to know this kind of stuff now. So for me, I can't tell. And the, only, the only thing that has changed for me is that I don't have to worry about using overnight mail. You know, I just, I scan things in now. I know that much about a computer. I could scan it in and I can make my files and I can go ahead and send it to whatever Dropbox or, you know, whatever system they're using, but that's about it. So as far as technology goes, I'm, 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 I'm the last of the dinosaurs, I guess that's my generation.
1: So you can really work anywhere. You could work remotely. It sounds like, you know, you have Dropbox or, before, you know, mailing things in, you never really had to go to an office or, or did you? Oh, oh for
2: 31 years, I've always worked at home it's it's um as the technology advanced people became more spread out and back in the old days you would have to be in the city that they that the publisher was in and you would have to have be able to at the very least drive in the pages i know back in the 60s and the 70s you would have to be within driving distance to drive in the pages and that's the way they used to do it in the 40s it was in-house the last company to do it in-house was CrossGen, and they were in Florida back in the nineties. But that was an, that was an anomaly, you know, to what's really going on. So, so you would have to be close enough to drive it in and then when overnight express or, or, you know, FedEx came, yet, you, you would have to have it, you know, you would change your, your work to be handed in within, you know, one to three days. And now you can just scan it in, but the uh, the faster you can get it in, the further apart the talent became. So now we're all over the world. Uh, the only thing that changes is a time zone, you know? And that's what I used to tell my students. I says, listen, you know, I used to only have to compete with a certain small group that slowly got larger as the generations. Now you're competing artistically across the world. So... It's, it's a lot harder now to make yourself valuable to a publisher. But if you know a lot about the technology, if you know how to ink on computers, you know, if you can do everything on computer with Photoshop or Illustrator, whatever it is, whatever tools they're using now, if you have your, you know, your Cintiq tablet or whatever, and, and you can work that way. Cause publishers, certainly you have to be artistic enough to, to, to do a good job. But really a publisher only really cares about it, is just getting out a product on the on their schedule. And that's the most important part. It's always been that way, but the most important part is to get out on time and you know, there's only so many jobs available, so you have to be able to break into somebody's talent pool, you know, the group of of pencilers and writers and inkers and letterers and colorists that any specific editor is comfortable and has given work to before and understands them and there's there's a bar rhythm between the two, and they understand what to expect because it's about being predictable. Mm. Uh, the better, the more predictable you are. You know, you know stability is predictability. You know, yeah. or relier, You know, product, You know, just being generally productive and understanding that they don't want to walk into a Wednesday meeting and have their book that's hot. You know, a book that's hot isn't a good thing. That means it's on fire and it, <laughs> it needs help. <laughs>
1: How much has the business changed with the internet? Does it allow more opportunities for artists and storytellers, or is it maybe eating away at the core business? Is it a pro or con uh, at the end of the day? I can't speak for retailers.
2: I do know that there's a, an, a, there was a time not too long ago, I remember hearing back when I was still with DC, uh, DC was reaching out to retailers about web comics and things like that. I don't know how that worked, to be honest. But I know that there was there was a major concern with 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 the internet being so omnipotent. Really, it's just it's so big. You know, it's it's uh, it's just a sign of the change. You know, it's it's honestly, it's just right now it's 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 the friction of of changing from one thing to the next. It'll figure itself out. I think a lot of people are still traditionalists and still like their hard co- hard copies. And then there's on the same on the same note, there are people that are just so glad that they can finally take that room and reduce the amount of lawn boxes that are in there. So that has something to do with it as well. But, you know, but those, those books are only as good as your light bill or, you know, your ability to pay a lot uh, uh, a, uh you know, your, your, your internet bill. You know, it's kind of like music. Everybody's music is in their phones now, you know. Uh, I would have to spend an awful lot of money to retrieve a lot of uh, the stuff I'm listening to now to get it in CDs. So it's, it's, we've become very, very reliant on uh, fiber optics for sure. But as a, as a business from, from my personal point of view, it's, it's opened up an audience for me that uh, is, it's much more accessible. You know, I would, I would draw something and they would finally come out and I would bug my editor. Hey, what are they saying? Do you like it? Are we doing good? Is this going to be a hit? Now I could just look at it on the internet and see what the response is without having to bother them, and so there's that aspect of it. The ability to have ancillary revenue streams has has been uh, opened up, you know, with with uh, with the internet. I know. I mean, I don't do it this way, but I know that there are there are artists out there that um, that send files. You know, you pay them to send send you a file so that they can have. The artwork in file, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's some thumb drive somewhere, and that to me is kind of weird, yeah. you know, because then, then then you know the availability of making copies is very easy for them, you know. Who knows who's making, you know, money on the side that way, you know, trying to retrieve their their commissions cost. And because of that, I've had to be savvy about uh, about. Uh, I've had people that have hired me to do a job and then didn't pay me, but then got a nice. JPEG of it and you know, granted it's only fifty DPI, but they've got fifty DPI for free. So I've had to be very, very cautious of it and then I've had to, to structure that aspect of, of, of my commission work to, to guarantee some form of income, you know. And now I don't start anything unless I get a down payment and they don't get a good copy until they finish paying it off. You know, once it's done, I take a picture of it that it's at an angle and it's not signed. And I says, well, you know, as soon as, soon as the transition's done, I'll, I'll send you a copy and then I'll post it on the and I'll, send, I'll mail you the original. Yeah, so, that
1: makes sense. Photographers work that way too. They yeah. give the screen resolution, but they won't give the print until the you know, payment's yeah. made.
2: Yeah, there's there are people out there that are just dishonest. I mean, they're the minority, thankfully, you know. Of all the commissions of the, you know, couple hundred of commissions that I've ever done, I guess, uh, you know, I could only maybe name maybe three people that I wouldn't work again for, you know? Uh, And I do have that list. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, you know, because it's, you know, it's, there are people out there that are just out and out scumbags. I, I did New York city comic con many years ago where a guy was trading DVD movies for artwork. So I says, all right. Well, you know, uh, I forgot what movie. I think it was an Adrian Brody movie that I was I was gonna do, and so I, you know, I I did the sketch. I handed him the sketch. He handed me the DVD. I opened it up, and it was empty.
1: Wow. Yeah. Terrible.
2: So yeah, that kind of thing happens, you yeah. know. And then they're out, put it up on eBay, you know, and then they're gone. You know, once they're gone, they're gone. So yeah. Hopefully, I will run into him again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget what he looks like. He's probably at the same uh, place.
2: Quirly little guy,
1: <laughs> What do you think about the uh, the quality of comics today? We were saying at the top of the show. I mean, there was a point where, as a casual fan, and maybe a little more than casual, you know, there were so many storylines that I eventually wasn't able to keep up obviously millions of people can keep up better than i can i like just you know take some traditional storylines and sort of just keep on taking that uh, sorry take the character and just kind of keep on letting that character grow Uh, i just got a little confused i couldn't keep up with all the different spider-man and i couldn't keep up with uh even you know the, the the new 52 that you did you know they rebooted the whole thing yeah and i'm thinking is this a cash grab or is this like a real artistic vision
2: it didn't come from me yeah Again, a publisher's job is to get a thing out. They're they're like record producers. They're like everybody. They're just a house of money makers. And back when Paul Levitz was the publisher for DC, all he had to do was show them that he was making a fifteen percent increase in sales. You know, as long as it you know kept slowly going up we were fine now that there are these movie houses now that they own comic books for a time time Warner which was always DC's parent company things became DC entertainment because they were going straight to their uh their, their movie section they just recently sold to AT&T marvel is owned by disney so there's always there's there's always the option of movies that way and, and cartoons so you know it's 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 The skeptic in me is saying they're just throwing a lot of mud on the wall so that they can have that one franchise, that one storyline, that they can milk it forever in various forms. Then there's also the internet as well. you know, Because things are less overhead in terms of printing costs and and shipping costs of, of getting things to comic book shops, there's the opportunity to make more money. And politically speaking, this is just the residue of what happened with Reaganism in Reaganomics, and the libertarian movement, and we're now suffering for it, you know, where it's it's like, okay, there's one ship leaving a port. Who's going to be a billionaire and get on that ship? Who's going to be left behind on a dock? And that's just the way the world is being run now, and, and, and every business is that way, you know, and, yeah. and uh, except have been no exception, especially since the, 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 the advent of, of, of computer graphics has made the fantasy that much more viable. You know, things don't look silly anymore, you know, uh, and, and, you know, they've been able to do more interesting things with it because of computer graphics. So, I, you know, I, I can't say specifically why they do it, but I do know this. They're not creative enough to do it, but they do it anyway. What that means, I, I don't. I honestly don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are some publishers that do try to, you know, I think DC is actually in good shape now because they got Jim Lee. You know, Cause they have who Jim Lee, you know, Jim Lee is the publisher now at DC, you know, Dan DiDio is was no longer with them. So having been an artist, uh, a creative artist, uh, uh, his own publisher, I think DC has a better chance of putting out better product in that regard, in terms of having someone at the top, uh, having a better idea of what to do. So, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't know what his job is. I, I don't know what the communication is between he and AT&T. Maybe it's better that he's worked with AT&T because there's no history of working with Time Warner that he has to deal with. Mm, yeah. um, so there's a whole lot of things going on that I couldn't fathom and I could only guess and speculate. And uh,
1: that's basically it. It seems to me that they've made at least some storyline change, no character changes. It seems to me that they've at least been trying to be a little bit more inclusive. Would you agree with that? or?
2: No, I don't want any fan who would be listening in on this that would think that uh, they're being left behind. That's not the case. It's never been the case. Uh, fans, and speaking about the internet and the accessibility of the internet, their voices have gotten loud as well. And, you know, in the end, you do have to please the fan. You can't just turn Batman into a, a, a gun-toting you know, whatever uh, and expect to, the, the fan base to to respect and honor that, you know? There are certain yeah. changes that are just not worth it. If you do that, it still has to be an Elseworld, you know? Uh, the, the, the When I did First Wave with Brian Azzarello, again, Batman had guns. It wasn't part of the continuity. It was just an Elseworld kind of a thing where he ran into Doc Savage and the Spirit and the Avenger and Blackhawks and Rima, you know, of the jungle. We had all kinds of crazy things going on in there. So the fans having something to say will be addressed. In the end, you can't go too far. You can just, you can try things that are new and hopefully they like it. I mean, when we did 52, it was well received. At least action was, you know, they really liked what Grant and I had done because we brought it back to basics and, and, and that was a good thing, you know, again, familiar and new at the same time.
0: So, Rags, I think you said that you've been penciling professionally for 31 years, is that right? Yeah. Is this something that you always wanted to do since you were a kid? Were you into comics as a kid? Keith Giffen has a great line that I've said millions of
2: times. He says, we lose our audience when they lose their virginity. And I was no different. So when I was a teenager and I finally, you know, blossomed into adulthood in that regard. Comic books became less important to me. It was my first love as far as just a, a form of entertainment. You know, back in the seventies we didn't have internet, we didn't have the cable. You know, we had Saturday morning cartoons and Sat on and that was it. There was no Cartoon Network and we had you know, Fox News wasn't even around yet, you know, we had thirteen channels and one of them was UHF. So. <laughs> So we didn't have a lot of options, so comic books were you know were like video games to us you know and, and for a quarter, you can get one. so I would pedal my banana seat bicycle down to the seven eleven with a dollar and come back with four new books and I would spend a lot of time drawing it and 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 absorbing it and and, and and reading the stories and getting to know the characters so I guess that's a common story but when i when i uh I was also a Boy Scout when I was younger too. So Boys Life magazine, which was the, the the magazine for the Boy Scouts, always had Norman Rockwell covers on it from Saturday evening posts, you know, something to do with scouting. And, and of course, he and he did work specifically just for, for, for Boys Life for a time. So we always always got these wonderful, you know, covers that, you know, for a time I thought I'd be a painter, an illustrator. And then when I lost my virginity, I, I started getting very much into – you know Charles Daniel Gibson and, and, and uh, you know old artists from the 1800s, uh, some of the impressionists as well. You know like Manet and, and, and Toulouse-Lautrec and, and Delacroix. Um, I would get into a whole lot of different stuff, but when it came to looking at my life and, and looking at my career, not a whole lot of work for illustrators, and I hadn't really developed my painting skills yet that wells where i can compete in that in that in that realm so i thought well you know comic books are still alive and kicking and they're still doing it so and there's a school that's right like 15 minutes away from where i live where i can go and it all just seemed to line up just perfectly for me so and i and, and, and i adore comic books i don't think i'm very good at them but i adore the idea of comic books um but I think, in my heart of hearts, I would rather just—I uh, would rather do paintings, you know.
1: Why don't you think you're good at them? I'm sure everybody, you know, is always telling you that you don't—you don't believe them.
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> People tell me I'm good, and I don't believe that, you know. I don't think I'm good at them because I don't think I—I I, um, I follow the old tropes, you know. Again, I'm not esque enough, you know. And when I draw something, I draw that. With my unique vision, and I don't draw faces to be cookie cutter like everyone else. You know, I don't have that comfort zone. There are certain artists that draw similarly to other people. You can see two different influences at at once. You know, and and they do it brilliantly. You know, and they're they're wonderful artists. But I delve too much into characterization, and and I delve too much. And, 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 and body language and humanity and, and and staging and lighting and things that are just not common to comic books, at least the way they evolved. I mean, back in the old days, staging and lighting was always very important. But, you know, from the 70s on, not, not a lot of people, since Jack Kirby, really, not a lot of people, you know, lit their scenes that well, you know. It was always the same light source, you know. It was the shadow of the nose always fell the same way regardless. And then occasionally they would do, you know, something at, at night you know, I would have to draw that, but to me, I'm just trying to make an illustration to every panel, and because of that, I don't adhere to the old rules. And, and because of that, I think I've left a lot of the fan base behind because of that. You know, some people appreciate the way I do things, some people just flat out don't, and I've heard it from both ends. I'm either overrated or underrated, depends on who you're asking. Oh, really? So, <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, your answer earlier was was awesome. I asked about you know what makes your uh, style you, and I was expecting, well, you know, I, I draw with sharper edges, or I, you know, my my faces are a little longer. They look, and you said no, it's really about the way that I I make the stage, and it's very much like a director of photography in movies. I think that yeah. was the most amazing answer. I I was totally not expecting that. That's a uh, thing. I mean, that's a really important part of the the whole image. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. In the end, it's 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 the whole backbone, really. You yeah. know. Uh, and 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 there's a lot of people that honestly I I, I don't think that's such an odd answer because uh, I would think everybody would everybody who's artistic, you know, yeah, because it's you know you can you can listen to you know, a musician go on and on about a song that they love and, and it doesn't sound like pop music to me, so yeah, it falls actually, it falls deaf on my ears. But for them, they understand the product well enough and they understand the what the artist is trying to do and the intent of it, and and the, and, and the adherence of that, you know, Milo Manara not long ago had a big thing going on because he made uh, was it, uh, it was a Spider I think it was a Spider Woman, and he had her squatting in a very provocative pose, and it, it was it was a whole to do about it to the point where Marvel had to kill the, the cover, which was like. But as an artist, I was looking at this as well. Wow, that was really brilliantly done, you know, and, and, and it fit the character, you know, but because he's known for his pornography, his Italian pornography, uh, right off the bat, people couldn't get that out of their head because it wasn't pop music enough for them. It wasn't sanitized enough for them. It was too artistic for them. Sure, right. right. So, yeah. So that answers the kind of answer I guess you would get from an artist.
1: Well, Rags, we are just about out of time. Uh, you're super accomplished. Just thrilled that you joined us here. I got one last question for you and it's uh, you know, you, you were talking about when I look back at my career, the life of my career. When so I'm going to tag on to that. When you look back, what are the what would you say was the most uh, enjoyable, maybe the, the the highlight of your career and what is maybe the the lowest part of your career?
2: Well, I don't think I've hit the the highlight of my career. I've had fiscally rewarding years yeah I think looking back at at my Turok work I might have been unknowing it at the time not knowing it at the time I you know it was probably my most rewarding artistically probably because you know Native Americans and 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 the culture has always been something that's been with me my entire life you know you know I, I do have it in my bloodlines so, you know, it would, uh, it, it would make sense that when I watched Lone Ranger Tonto it was more interesting to me than the Lone Ranger. So I guess maybe Turok may have been something that I kind of look back on and said, you know, I would love to do that again. The lowest point, probably realizing that everybody loves a success story, but nobody loves success. And the lowest point was probably post-identity crisis where, you know here i am supposed to be enjoying my my work and people are taking shots at me you know because again you know nobody likes success so you know trying to reward myself for the years spent trying to become something and realizing that the reward was still hard to get you know and thinking that i had done something that was significant that not everybody really appreciated you know so yeah. But then again, you can't please everybody, so who am I to complain? You know, it was a good, it was a good, <laughs> rewarding, and it and it made the fifteen years it took for me to get there. So you know, I can't really complain that much. But you know, I, I have a lot of ideas, and hopefully, one of these days, I'll be able to get them off the ground.
0: Awesome, man. Well, we appreciate all your work, and we we love your your artwork. And, Thank you. Uh, so. Before we close this, why don't you tell everyone where they can find some of your of your original artwork? That uh, you have a website, uh, Instagram, oh, yeah. Twitter, all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, I've, I've got. Uh, I, I do a lot of my communication through Facebook. Uh, eventually, I'm going to believe it or not, <laughs> I'm going to disappear. Uh, I, I have a, I have a fantasy, and I don't know how viable it'll be, but I do want to eventually uh, be pulled off most of the grid. And there's going to be one place you could find me eventually. But for now, there's a uh, Rags Morales art page on Facebook for the old people. For the new kids, I'm on uh, Instagram, even though that's now part of Facebook. But yeah, uh, Rags Morales art page. And there's two Rags Morales. Make sure you get the one with my face. And it says Art page. That's where I do most of my communication. Uh, Again, Instagram, rags and hashtags. Again, there's two of those, but rags and hashtags is my my business one. My main website is ragsagainstthemachine.net. Also, ragsmorales.com. I think you can still get that. And that's uh, that's a Tumblr. That's probably the one where I'm going to, you know, I'm going to uh, consolidate everything to there. Uh, Hopefully, eventually, I'll get away from that as well and just get my own website website instead of just working with another. To another house, and there's uh, at Rags Morales at Twitter, and official Rags Morales on uh, Comic Art Fans. So I'm, uh, I'm I'm a little bit everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good to be on the big wide web. So
2: yeah, like I say, it's 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 blossomed to where you're very vocal and very visible. So that's uh, that's the internet.
1: Well, thanks again. This has been great. Hope you enjoyed it as well.
2: Right on, fellas. Yeah, it was good. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Rags. Take care. Bye-bye. See you. Bye-bye now.